Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hey, y'all. I'm Zach Glazer. And I'm Jennifer Wiggum, and this is episode 486 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach talks with Will and Noah about things to ask your AI provider. Today's podcast is brought to you by iLawyer Marketing, and we're going to start off with our new sponsor format and hear a short interview with them right now, or, well, after Jennifer and I get done talking. Yeah, we got to be weird for a few seconds. But first, I'm going to say Will is newish to Affinity Consulting. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet him at our Affinity Lawyers retreat, and I thought he was brilliant. Just such a good guy, so good at what he does, and really, really knowledgeable about AI. And I think that's what you two talk about, right? I mean, I just said it, so I know it is. Yes. Thank you. Now, Will is, Will is great. I enjoyed getting to do this, this conversation. Yeah, we're talking about AI, but we've been trying to incorporate Will into pretty much everything we can possibly get him incorporated into. After this interview, he and I were talking and he was asking about a specific thing that we're trying to get him to do. I think he's going to be one of the one of the judges for the website contest this year. And yeah, that's just one of the many things that I'm I'm trying to work him into because he is very impressive. But today we're really just talking about how to kind of vet your AI provider, because Will was on the team or is on the team that helps us at Affinity slash Lawyerist vet our internal AI providers. And we've been able to use some AI providers inside of Zoom, inside of Teams. And we actually have created our our own AI mm-hmm. chatbot in our coaching program as well. Sure have. And so when you say AI providers, it's a little bit of a new concept and you might go over it in the interview, but can you pull back a little bit and tell everybody what you mean by AI provider? Yeah, no, I think that's great because we actually don't go over that in the interview. Oh, well then please define it. Yeah, because we get right into it. Um, AI provider being a piece of software or company that is helping your firm use AI to do something. You know, so ChatGPT4 would be an AI provider. Fathom would be an AI provider. Frankly, Zoom in some ways is an AI provider. And we actually use a platform to record these called Riverside.fm. And they are an AI provider because they use AI to give us transcripts. So any of these pieces of software or companies that are helping your firm use AI to do something is an AI provider. And I think they're right now, they're kind of scary for a lot of firms, yeah. but you have to use it. You have to, you have to be using artificial intelligence to, to do things, to be getting comfortable with it. You have to, you can't just, this is not a moment to stick your head in the sand. Yeah. And I saw something on the, you know, CES, which is, you know, the technology conference that's in Vegas every year mm-hmm. where all sorts of companies introduce new technology. And the headline was, this is all AI. Everything is AI. It is not going away. It's not a flash in the pan. It's here. Yeah. And it's honestly, one of the troubles with AI is it's, is it's sucking all the oxygen out of the room for, for anything yes. else. Because you go to a conference and it's, you know, it's AI, it's AI, it's AI. But it's, uh, 
I remember, and frankly, in this podcast, we've talked about Web3 formats, we've talked about tokens, we've talked about you know, various things like that. And with other technologies, a lot of times people have said, okay, great, but how do I use it? Mm-hmm. You know, okay, Zach, that's like tokenization is neat. How do I use it? You know, with AI, people go, can I do this with it? You know, just immediately, people can envision how to use artificial intelligence. And I think that is the, that's the thing to me that says this isn't going away. Yeah. There's a lower barrier to entry to understanding and using it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to encourage people to be safely using artificial intelligence in their practices. So we brought on Will Anno to talk about how to vet our providers. All right. Let's hear your conversation with Will. Hey, y'all. Zach here. And I've got Mike from iLawyer Marketing with me. Now, iLawyer Marketing is a full-service law firm marketing agency that handles everything from content creation and web design to pay-per-click and so-called over-the-top or streaming advertising. Mike, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Zach. So, Mike, iLawyer Marketing, obviously, it's just for lawyers. It's right there in the name. But you guys are a full-service marketing company. And I, I know that can mean a lot of different things. But y'all, y'all are... And I've looked at your website. Y'all are a full service marketing firm. But what sets your firm apart, your agency apart from others that are out there? That's a good question. Uh, number one is, is going to be the experience that we have. I've been doing law firm marketing for the past 18 years. I think we started this company in 2006. So I've been doing this for quite a while, helping law firms to have you know, great success with marketing campaigns by, by being a little bit smarter than you know, the average marketing campaigns that are out there. And so the way that we found to do that is by one, creating websites that are focused on conversions. No matter how many people come to your website, if they're not picking up the phone and contacting your firm, then you're kind of wasting the potential to, to land new business. And so we put a lot right. of time and effort and research into conversion rate optimization to help generate more leads and ultimately get more signed cases for the law firm. So we do quite a bit of research on that. And it's had tremendous impact on the the firms that we work with. <laughs> that's that's the thing. My father, who who I practice with, always said, "Start with the end in mind." Obviously, that's a Stephen Covey. That's a you know, but your website can be in front of millions, billions of eyes if you're not actually converting them to potential clients or leads or something like that. It really doesn't matter. You know, you could you could have a Super Bowl ad, but if those aren't the the right people, it really doesn't matter. So I I like that a lot. And now in your time in the industry. You know, you've been doing this for a while. And in your time in the industry, you've seen a lot of stuff in web design. Things have changed a lot since 2006. Things have changed a lot since earlier this year. But things have changed <laughs> a lot since 2006. Sure. And y'all have, I think you were telling me y'all have some proprietary software that y'all use for this. But if you can boil down, you know, elements of a successful law firm marketing campaign, what would that be? Good question. And I actually have a guide that I've been working on that you can share a link to this in the show notes for your listeners to be able to get this guide. But in it, it covers what the successful elements of a law firm marketing campaign are. Number one, it does start with that website, right? The website has to be mm-hmm. has to be great. It's got to imp- impress site visitors. It's got to convince them to pick up the phone and call your firm. Right. Two, you have to have high visibility right. online. People aren't going to go do a search on Google and then continue scrolling and go to page two, page three. They're not, they're not going to do that. They're going to no. find what they see near the top of the search result. So you got to have great visibility on Google, you know, either through paid or organic. 
we're known for being the premier organic SEO company in the industry. And we have clients across the nation that are ranking in the most competitive markets for the most competitive search terms. So most of our clients are personal injury, family law, criminal law, mm-hmm. employment law. But without that high visibility, people aren't going to find you online. So that's kind of the kind of key component number two. Number three, high quality content. You have to have great content on your website for two reasons. Number one, human visitors, when they come to your site, they need to see it, that you're the right <laughs> firm that they should be calling, right? It's got to convince that visitor that you are the right firm. And I say human visitors because the other side of the coin is Google. Is the content that you have on your site going to satisfy Google? Are they going to, are they going to think of it as highly relevant or that search query that somebody puts into Google when they're looking for a lawyer online or they're doing search about what their situation is? So you got to have great content on your website that satisfies both the human and the, you know, the, the search engine spider, so to speak. So number four, you have to have highly efficient intake. This is a, a huge issue that I see. The firms that have a great intake process, those are the firms that have the greatest success with their online marketing. Because if, no matter how many leads you get, if you're not responding right away to these leads, then those people are leaving that website going to another site, calling that firm. And if that firm gets back to that prospect faster than your firm does, a lot of times you're missing out on those cases. And so I hear quite a bit from firms, oh, we, we respond within 24 hours. That's not good enough. People that have a well-oiled machine in terms of the intake <laughs> process, those firms, they're calling within five minutes. Some of them are calling. You know, They have a process for texting. They have a process for emailing. And then they're not giving up on those people when, when they call in. Because a lot of times you try to call back a lead. If you're a law firm, you might not connect with that person right away. Right. You know, are you following up two or three times and then giving up? Well, the firms that do this the best, they either are doing it themselves and following up you know, between 10 to 15 times to chase down these leads, or they work with a third-party company that can help them to do that. So the intake process is a huge part of having success. The fifth element is online reviews. Okay. So I did a study earlier uh, last year, actually, and there was 1,300 people that participated in the study. And we asked them, if you are considering hiring a lawyer online, are you going to go look at the online reviews? 98% of the participants said yes, they'd look at the reviews before they hired a law firm. Wow. So if you do not have great reviews out there, then you're going to be missing out on leads. Your website could draw them in. They could say you have a fantastic website. But if you don't have great reviews about your law firm, they're not going to call you. They're going to call somebody else. So mm-hmm. and even if you have a small amount of reviews, you may have five or six reviews, but then your competition has 50 reviews, 100 reviews, 200 reviews. Mm-hmm. Those are the firms that are going to get that call first, even if they came to your website first, even if they are impressed by your site. So you got to have great reviews. Okay. And then the last component is performance tracking. You, you have to be able to measure what's working and what's not working, right? There's a lot of firms that we see that come to us. They don't know what is working for their leads. Is it their paid ads? Is it their organic leads? Is it their search engine or their social media marketing? They're not mm-hmm. quite sure. So to be able to pinpoint and know what is working and not working is, is very crucial to the success of overall marketing because you want to cut out what's not working and you want to double up on the stuff that is working. Absolutely. Don't spend good money going to the bad places. Well, Mike, I, I appreciate that. That's a really efficient six steps they can take. And, and it's good website, great visibility on Google, high quality content, highly efficient intake. And this is highly efficient intake. 
good online reviews and making sure that you're looking at your metrics and knowing what's working. Mike, if they want to see more on the six elements of a successful law firm marketing campaign, we'll obviously drop the link to that white paper in our show notes, or they can always go to ilawyermarketing.com. They can. We haven't even put it on our site yet. I literally have just been working on this for the past for the past week. This is the first time I've even announced that I created this thing. So your listeners actually get the first bite at that. So, But we will put that up on our site. We'll, sh- we'll share it in the show, lo- show notes, and I'd be happy to share this. And I think law firms will get a lot out of it in terms of how to have success with their marketing in, in 2024. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thanks a bunch for, for being with us and for, for uh, sharing all your, your knowledge. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. My name is William Mano. I am the IT coordinator at Affinity Consultant slash Lawyerist. I work mostly with the CIO of both companies, and I do a lot of work with AI tools over here. Mostly all of our applications are kind of working through Microsoft. So there's a lot of, as most of you may know, tools coming out. AI tools coming out, Microsoft are doing a lot of work with that. And so um, there's a lot of stuff that we work with over here, try to kind of merge these things and be as productive as we can while staying very um, conscious of uh, the things that can go, you know, sideways and all that. So, Oh, yeah. Will, I appreciate you you being with me. Um, And I'm really concerned about and wanted to talk to you about specifically what to do with the, or how to think about the things that could go sideways, but you're our information technology coordinator working with our CIO and, and just in case CIO is chief information officer. Yes. So our fella art who keeps us all on our toes and inappropriate data, you and I both work a good bit with, with art. Yeah. So wanted to bring you on because at our affinity slash lawyerist retreat, you and I were talking about AI tools that we use internally. Obviously, this is a big, um, <laughs> a big topic. We could yes, go, it is. we could be talking about a lot of various things with, with AI tools, but specifically we're kind of talking about tools that can help us manage our data or create things, you know, generative AI, obviously copilot is potentially coming out or has come out, yeah. depending on who you are um, in that Microsoft environment. And just to give a little background, we're in that Microsoft environment. We're not in the yes, Google environment. So we have actually launched a few AI tools internally and some externally. And in talking to a lot of lawyers, I think we get fear of what that tool is going to do to us in our professional responsibility sort of area. We're talking confidentiality. We're talking attorney-client privilege. So, well, I guess when I come to you (laughs) and I say, Will, (laughs) I want to use this AI tool, let's say Fathom, something that's going to help me summarize my online meetings. You know, I'm having online meetings. What are the things that we we talk about? What are the things that you're concerned about in, in that area? I mean, right off the bat, Fathom is a tool that records your meeting. So right off the bat, you're kind of getting concerned with information over here and how that information is, is going to be secured or not. So that's that's your first question. So that's 
what you're going to be asked. Hey, is it okay to use Fathom? And if I do so, how is all this information or all the things that we're talking about that we don't necessarily want out there? Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, maybe we're talking on a meeting about a new client that we have and, mm-hmm. you know, all the information here and there, but we don't want it to get out there. And one of the things that Fathom as a tool does really well is kind of summarize everything, take all your information and then summarize it. So right. you still do have all that information over there. And if you ask me those kind of questions, then that's where I go and dig deep into their privacy policies. You know, that's where I go and then read through however many pages they have over there and go through vetting and making sure that yes, this is this is a good tool to use mm-hmm. and this is how they're gonna be using your information and are you okay with them doing this to that information? Right. So so our, our first kind of thing is what is the tool doing? What's it what's it doing? And so Fathom specifically for this exercise is recording our online meeting, right? And so then you say, well, that recording has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what is happening inside that meeting? Are we having client contact? Is this just a recording of a party we're having? You know, just (laughs) what, what, what is kind of the level or the depth of confidentiality that we want from that? And so then you're saying, let's go and figure out where that provider is storing that information and what they're doing with that information. So we're digging into the privacy policy specifically. And when we're looking at that privacy policy, what are the types of things that we're, that we're looking for for us as lawyers or us as people who are, I guess, specifically us people who are working with lawyers as well. And so we want to keep that confidentiality. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're in the age where, you know, you can get sued for almost anything, right? <laughs> so my father used to say, you can, you can sue the Pope for blasphemy if you can pay the court costs. Exactly. <laughs> if you, if you can. <laughs> so, yeah. So you just want to be careful and you want to be able to kind of, I guess, cover your back. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking through um, the privacy policies, you are looking for, um, let's take, Facebook, for example, mm-hmm. you know, how do they use that information? You know, in these cases, Facebook may use your information for advertisement right, and things like that. And so those are the kind of things you're looking for in that. Uh, do they work with parties that they are going to be using this information? You know, maybe something I said to advertise in there, or are they really digging down on, okay, this is a tool that we've made. And we understand that, you know, privacy is is a big issue and we are going to stay in that area where, you know, most companies are not staying nowadays Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of money coming through if you're sharing information out there. So are you staying in that, digging down and saying, okay, um, we're going to be that company that, you know, are going to keep your information private and not use it as, you know, an advertisement tool or whatever it may be, and we're just going to provide you with private stuff. So if you use our company, you can trust us. So those are the things I'll be looking for in those privacy policies. So that's kind of what I, and I've gone on major tangents about why it's not good to use, you know, 
zachglazerlegal at gmail.com if you're an attorney <laughs> because of, of those reasons, those privacy concerns. Yeah. Because you're, again, this is a, a communication tool. But with that, with let's say Gmail, as a lawyer, I understand the concept, hopefully, of like where my data is and what its movement is. So I am using Gmail and my data lives either in transit from my computer to the, the email servers or from that email mm-hmm. server to the other person's computer or phone or, or other place. But it's for the most part, I'm concerned with what it's doing on that email server. And in the case of, of Gmail, of Google, Google is going through that, like you're saying with Facebook, to look mm-hmm. for advertisement opportunities. So we've got a third party getting into my client communications. So I, I think that's a, a huge red flag. But that's email server. So with artificial intelligence, and let's say something like a chatbot, if I am querying a chatbot, chat GPT, for, and I'm putting client information into that system, I don't necessarily conceive of where all that information lives. And so when I'm looking at that privacy policy, I don't know that I know what I'm looking for. Hmm. You know, I, I think when we started, you talked about generative AI, mm-hmm. you know, versus non-generative AI, you know. So when you talk about chat boxes, at that point, you're talking about generative AI, right? Yeah. So when you're going that way, you should bear in mind that this is somewhere that you kind of pull information from anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's open so you can get information from anywhere on the web most, most of the time. Right, right. For chat GPT, yeah. Yeah, for chat GPT. And whatever information you put in there, it can also be saved so somebody else can use it because it's it's learning. That's mm-hmm. another aspect of it, to learn. So when you're looking in there, you're looking for, okay, so this information, I put it in there, is a tracking who puts it in there. Okay. So is there like a, a, a log of, of, yes. my, of my usage? Okay. Yeah. Is there a log of your usage in there? And what are they doing with, with that log? Okay. So if there's, let's just say, let's take it slow so I don't get lost. Um, so okay. <laughs> in something like, like ChatGPT4, if there's a log of my usage where I've put something into the prompt and it, it says, okay, well, we're going to save that, A. We're going to save that somewhere in, in a place that says what you've put in there. Now that information, if it happens to have client information, it lives somewhere. It yeah. lives somewhere <laughs> and it's <laughs> unlikely to live on my computer. Yeah. And so we need to look at, at what they're doing with that. But then you also said something about there's this feedback that goes into generative AI. So I get the feeling that, yes, it could live in a log, but then this query, this thing that I've put in is also somehow going into the information that the system is using to answer questions later. Yeah, yeah, that's something you have to think about because um, it's made in a way that, okay, so now that you've asked that question and I provided you this answer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when somebody else asks that question, it doesn't have to go through a long process to generate the answer again. It makes it a little bit more quicker because it 
it knows it now, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to go search for it again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so am I being logged? Doesn't know it was me, you know? Right. If I put in an information about a, a client, let's say, I, I don't think we, we don't do that. But <laughs> let's say somebody else. Probably not in, a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. definitely not. Somebody else mistakenly put, you know, information or somebody, you know, copy and pasted um, somebody's name in there. Now it's in there. What is it going to do with this information? Right. Can somebody else at somewhere, you know, be getting this as an answer to your question? Mm-hmm. Is it going to cite? This thing that I put in here at some point, what is it going to do? Right, right. So I'm essentially giving access to client information to this, this system. So, okay, we don't want to do that, but, but quite frankly, Will, I do want to do that. Like I, <laughs> I, and I, I mean this, let's say I want artificial intelligence of some sort. I want generative AI to go into my contracts that I have that live in my uh, document management system. Can I do that then? You know, if, if somebody's coming in and saying, okay, well, I'm a third party, I'm a plug-in to your Microsoft environment, and I will help you kind of generate from your internal information, what, what am I thinking about then? So at that point, we're talking about our, you know, internal database, right? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes not like a generative AI, but it is something we as a company are feeding the information. Into. Okay. So we are kind of putting it through and making sure that the information that we're putting in there is more factual and not just based on what is out there in the web, right? Because mm-hmm. it's our database. This is the information that we actually have in there, right? And when you're working with us, before you work with, you know, lawyerists or affinity, there's a contract based over there. And mm-hmm. we, we know how many years we keep your information for and all that kind of stuff. So we've gone through that. We know what we're doing. And so in that moment, you're going through looking for um, the answers that you need over there that we've trained the AI for. Mm-hmm. And you, you can get all, all those in there. So at that point, I don't think it's more of uh, where is your information going and how is it going to be used because you will know. Okay, so if I'm having a third party build a product to kind of iterate over my own information internally, I still want to make sure that somehow that information isn't going out onto some sort of other machine. You know, so let's say the third party has their product, their AI product, and it lives somewhere other than on my. Azure environment, uh, which would essentially be in my Microsoft environment. I want to either make sure that, that it's not doing that, that it's not going mm-hmm. out to a third party, or it sounds like we need to have some sort of privacy agreement, like data privacy agreement between us and that third party. And you're saying that it would be our practice as Affinity Consulting, if we're building a tool like this, to have that privacy agreement. So like, yes, your data might be it might be somewhere other than exactly within your own environment, but it's going to be in our environment and we have a data privacy agreement with you that says we're going to keep it for this. Absolutely. So if how do I kind of tell between those two instances? You know, like I, I'm, I'm looking for someone or I'm looking at a product that is going to help me speed up generation of email 
or something like that, or, or generation of content. How do I know what sort of content I can put in there? Like, where do I know, or how do I know to draw the line between I can generate marketing information, you know, that something that doesn't have client data in it, or I can generate wills, <laughs> let's say out of this thing. Like, how, how do I, how do I tell the difference? And then how do I tell my, my office to tell the difference? Well, I guess it, it all drills down to what database you've agreed on with your vendor okay. to be using. So if your vendor is going to be using your database mm-hmm. to generate that, but you gear towards you, then you have the understanding that, okay, this, this, the information that's going to be generated over here is this from us, right? And if you have an agreement that, okay, um, we want like a general, you know, information over here, it doesn't necessarily have to be geared towards us. Do you want it just general? Do you want it just you? Or do you want a, a mixture of both, mm-hmm. right? And then you decide which information you want to put out there. Okay, so I, I need to make sure that my provider is telling me and can tell me where the stuff is coming from. So where are they getting this information? What are they, what's, what data are they training this on? And then what are they doing with what I'm putting into there? Kind of seems to be the, the two big points here is where are you getting this information from? So if, if I'm using something like ChatGPT that is just getting information from the World Wide Web, essentially. Yeah. Well, then it's theoretically, as long as I haven't done anything really dumb with my website, it's theoretically not getting information from my client files. So great. I don't have a problem with that. But if I have put some sort of, of system onto my Azure environment, Microsoft environment, then I need to make sure that that information doesn't somehow leak onto, well, out in public, you know? So like yeah. I, I don't need to be connecting chat GPT-4 to my internal system. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you decide to create some other database that the information you're putting in there and then link that to ChatGPT. Okay, so is there a way that I can take my information and and have something, a tool like ChatGPT, like actually working on my information and keep that private? At that point, I'm not sure about the private. Okay, okay. That is something that you would have to vet deeply into chat GPT okay. to make sure that maybe you're buying a tool from them mm-hmm. and saying, okay, I want this to work with this database that I have mm-hmm. and only this database doesn't leak out and that's it. Right. You can certainly do that, but you would have to make sure you're vetting it correctly. Okay. But that's the, that's the questions we're going to ask our provider. Is, yes. is where, where is this? It really, really doesn't matter if, yeah, if we right now know that can or can't, it's, these are the questions that you would, that you would ask the <laughs> yeah, provider. Like that's exactly, what we're talking about yeah. is, is figure out. So, all right, let me kind of, let me kind of sum up here. Cause I, I think we've, I think we've dug in and, and you've helped me um, work my mind around this. The big thing is where does the information live? Where are we getting this information? And if you're getting it from me, it doesn't need to go out anywhere. If it has client information in it, it cannot, and we need to really kick the tires and, and ask the questions of our provider, this is not leaving my system. There is no other, other third party. And then the big thing that I think people are, 
questioning is when I have these prompts, when I am putting information into this system, where do those prompt questions go? Is it logging them somewhere? And if it is, like that's not necessarily a problem as long as it's, if when it's logging it, it is still in my system or it is not going out into a third party. And then secondly, is it training the system on my questions, essentially, so yeah. it, it would be on my data. And I think that gets into, there was a big story, I guess, a year ago or so about Copilot in relationship to development. And I think it was Samsung who started to see some of their code um, being spit back into oh, yeah. the system. And so that's that's a, you know, that's what you want to avoid. You You don't want to be putting client data in there and then somebody, you know, be asking questions about something and, and your client data gets put Pops into their right answer up. for chat yep. GPT-4. All right. What is your, and I'm going to kind of close up here. What is your favorite use right now for an artificial intelligence tool? That's, that's great. So um, I do a lot of Power BI stuff. Okay. It's great to be able to use uh, Power BI to help kind of like generate you know, like the steps to go through, like putting it in there. Hey, how to, how does it set it up? So at that end, it's just being able to help you kind of manage what you're trying to do instead of, um, I'm not necessarily feeding it any information at that point. I just need its help to guide me through what I'm, I'm trying to do over here. And I think that's probably my favorite, um, I love that you throw around Power BI like like everybody, every one of our listeners is going to know what that is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's it's part of well, I guess maybe not obviously, it's part of the Microsoft 365 environment, and part yes, of that like, Power Apps environment. But, but 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 let us know what's Power BI. <laughs> so Power BI is essentially a Microsoft tool that kind of helps you weed together all the Microsofts softwares that are available so like for a little example let's say if you get an email so every so often you get however much email but you want to kind of summarize it and have it put it in a let's say a folder or something like that you can use power bi to do that and you just tell it what to do how many times it should do it things like that so on the back end what i use mostly use it to help everybody at Lawyerist and uh, Affinity say help them kind of shorten their processes, you know, redundant processes kind of help it be a little bit more short and so it can help everybody be more productive. So so automating some of the some of the tasks. Yeah, automating a lot of a lot of automating. And acting upon the system, the Microsoft yeah. three sixty five environment. And the AI portion comes in when it's like if somebody asks me, hey can you automate this? And then I can ask Power BI, hey, how do I automate this? And then it will kind of give you a little guide. And then okay. at that point, I kind of go through and kind of weed it through. But it will kind of give you a general idea mm -hmm. of how to do it, if it is possible, and then you go from there. Okay. I love thinking about generative AI or helpful AI in that way. I think that's a, that's a great way to, to do it of like, I'm asking it, I'm getting it close. It's going to give me some good ideas. It's going to give me some yeah. good direction. But ultimately, I have to hone this thing and make it into an actual product. Exactly. But I love that. So it's 
going into one of the built-in systems into, into Microsoft that helps us act upon our data, and you're saying, okay, well, what do I, how do I code this? How do I make yeah. this actually work? Awesome. Awesome. Well, Will, I think that's about all the time we've, we've got today. I really appreciate you coming in and kind of um, helping us weed through some of the AI issues we have. I know that we've had you and your team go through a lot of the AI tools that we have, so we won't have to be afraid of them. So I, I really appreciate your help. Thanks for being with me, Will. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at Lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to Lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.